Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. Are you wasting your money or feeling stuck financially? It doesn't have to be that way. God's Word teaches you how to use your money in ways that will make it count. Jesus talked quite a bit about money, and so uh, we're not going to shy away from the topic just because it's touchy in our culture to talk to other people about money. So we're going to dive into it. Uh, just like he would if he was here. So uh, I'm glad you guys are here today. And we're going to learn how to make our money count um, in the next three weeks. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, you might want to look at this verse. But in James chapter 1, there's an interesting verse. It kind of, as I was reading through my Bible this week, this isn't really the passage we're going to look at this morning. But this verse just hit me. This idea of doing the most I can with what God's given me. Not wasting my talent, not wasting my money, not wasting my ability, seemed to connect for me this week in studying for this series. And uh, then I stumbled across this verse that I've read probably a hundred times in my life, but it just hit me differently this week. And it's in James chapter 1, verse 15. It's talking about sin. You may be here, you may even believe in sin, right? But that's okay, I do. So is that okay if I talk about it for a second, if we have a difference of opinion on that? And if you're a Christian or you're a Jesus follower or you Um, believe what the Bible says, then for you, sin is the idea of missing the mark, right? Or the idea of God sets a standard, a mark, and we all fall short of it. That's sin. When you miss that standard, when you do something against what he's commanded or against what he says is best, then that's my definition of sin. You may not be a Christian. You may not be a Jesus follower. You may not care what the Bible says. You may have your own definition of a term sin. For you, it may just be like uh, some kind of um, moral conflict with society, right? Some kind of uh, moral disagreement with the majority of society. And you may be in this room and think there is no such thing as sin. But just for a second, indulge me and pretend like there is some kind of uh, moral discrepancy between perfection and error, that there is a missing the mark. And I want to show you how the Bible describes sin in James chapter 1, verse 15. It's an interesting take on it, and it hit me fresh this week. So here it is. I'm not giving you the context, but you, know, you can go back and read it on your own later. So this isn't the whole what we're going to teach today. But desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That was an interesting visual aid that hit my mind this week. All sin... Is just like that. It always starts off as something innocent that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, that even looks kind of cute. And that's why I think James writes, desires give birth to sinful actions. You don't ever give birth to a baby and look at your baby and think, that baby is ugly. Right? Now, If you thought that, I want you to just go ahead and take that secret to your grave, okay? Because you will have your kid in therapy when they're older if you tell them that, okay? But whenever you have a baby, you look at that baby and you're like, that baby is so cute and so innocent. But nobody thinks to themselves, I really hope that my baby grows up to be a serial killer, right? I really hope my baby grows up to just be a total loser. Nobody thinks that, right? This is just how sin treats us. It shows up as a little baby that's cute and cuddly and innocent. Our desires inside give us these warm fuzzies. And you're like, hey, 
That would be a good thing to do or to try or to say or to think. And then when you do it, you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. It was kind of made me feel good inside. But if it's allowed to grow, it always then grows up to give birth to death. Nobody thinks that. Nobody wants that. I don't want my kids to grow up, to have kids of their own that are stillborn, that are mass murderers. Nobody says to themselves, I hope my kid grows up to become the world's worst dictator. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that's going to happen to their kids, but your sin is just like that. When it comes to our money, it's just like that. The stuff that when you were a little kid, you did with money that was cute, when you grow up, it becomes kind of ugly. And when you're five years old and you want what you want right now and you don't want anybody to tell you you have to wait for it because you don't have enough money for it, it's kind of cute, right? But when your 39-year-old husband can't wait for anything that he wants to buy, it's not cute anymore, right? Remember me saying, I said this last year, someday I'm going to do a sermon at our church called It's Not Cute Anymore. And just talk about all the things that, like, maybe they were cute at one time, but, like, they're not cute anymore. The girl that you were dating in high school, that you thought it was so cool how she always had a new outfit on, when you're 45, that's the source of all your marital fights, right? The guy who you thought, man, I'm going to date him because his car is rad. See, they don't say that anymore, Michael. But, like, when I was a kid, you know, like, that's how they talked, right? You know what I'm talking about, right, guys? That's, that's the way we... It was rad. So you're like, I'm going to date him because his car's so rad. And now you're just angry at him every time you have to mail in that monthly payment when you're married. Right? All the stuff financially that you thought was kind of cute as a kid, if left to grow, becomes ugly and gives birth to death as an adult. And a lot of us are walking around financially giving birth to financial death in our life. Not because we're evil. Not because we have bad intentions, but simply because our desires gave birth to some sinful actions a long time ago, and we just let them grow. And now they're in turn giving birth to death in our life. That's how our finances are. A lot of the things that used to be cute, that you used to love in your marriage partner, you loved those things when you were dating, you loved those things when you were kids, have now become the source of all of your marital fights. And of course, finances, if you don't know this already, is the leading cause of divorce in America. Fights and arguments and disagreements over money. What if we put an end to some of that? What if instead we learn how to make our money count? What if instead we learned how to make our money make us happier, right? Today I want to talk with you guys about what I've called happy money. Happy money. All right? That's kind of a strange title, but if you just hang with me, I think for a minute you'll see. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever said to yourself this phrase? I thought I knew what would make me happy. That's a rhetorical question. We've all said that. All right? I'm just kidding. We've all said that. But like, can you remember like a time, a, a circumstance, a decision you made, a relationship that you look back on that you're out of now, a job that you took that turned out to not be the dream job you thought it would be. And you look back at that time or that relationship or that 
promotion or that job you took, and you think to yourself, at the time, I thought I knew what would make me happy, but it turned out not to make me happy. At the time, I thought that would make me happy, but it didn't. All of us have been there, right? All of us. That's good proof that you can't always believe what you think, right? Some people always believe what they think, but everybody's felt like that, right? I thought I knew it was good for me, but I didn't. So you shouldn't always believe what you think. A couple weeks from now, Kenny's going to start a series in our church called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Some of you guys are praying for that series right now, which is awesome. But in that series, we don't actually get together and talk. We don't like teach our sermons to each other ahead of time. I know you guys think that's what pastors do. Like they get into a room like preach all the time. That's not what we do. I watch sports and I hang out just like you do, okay? But like Kenny's going to be teaching this series in a couple weeks. And we do give each other like a brief description of the series. And we give that out to whoever wants it. You guys, it's not like a cheat sheet. You guys can have it if you want it. But he's teaching a series that starts in a couple weeks called Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it's something about like all the characteristics that happy people share in common, right? Is that, is that pretty accurate? Okay. And so uh, I didn't know how this was going to fly, so I asked him right before church if this was accurate or not. But I got one quality that all happy people share in common, and I want to share it with you today. And I asked him about it. He said, that's the whole series. So now you don't have to come when he teaches. <laughs> no. no, he said, that's the whole series, and the whole series is going to be breaking down what leads to this one characteristic that all happy people have in common, which is awesome. I didn't even know that until 10 minutes ago, right? But the one characteristic that all happy people have in common is peace, right? You don't know anybody who's happy who's always out for revenge are always angry or hateful or bitter. They're not happy if they're like that, right? If you find somebody that's holding a bunch of grudges, that thinks the world's out to get them, that is always trying to get back at somebody, they're usually not very happy, right? Happy people all have peace. And peace is something that you can't ever have with stuff. It's always something you have with other people. Or maybe sometimes with God. Or maybe sometimes with yourself. But peace is something that is between you and another person. It's not something that's between you and a car. Nobody is ever at peace with their car. The car doesn't talk. It can't tell you anything. It can't get angry at you. You don't have peace with objects. You have peace with people. And so it brings me to kind of this big idea that I need you to agree with me on today if we're going to get anything out of this, okay? And I think we all do. But I just want to say it so we can all be on the same page. That happiness is always connected to a who, not a what. That sounds like something from a Dr. Seuss book, right? Happiness is always connected to a who, not a what. And you really do know this at a subconscious level. Nobody on their deathbed says to the people around them, Oh, would you go back to my house and and bring me my coin collection? I want to just hold it as I go out. Nobody says that. Would you just, you know what, I got this money sitting in the bank, and before I die, would you go buy me another car to sit in the parking lot outside the hospital? Nobody does that. On their deathbed, they say, would you call my friends and my family, the people who are closest to me, would you get them in here so they'll hold my hand so that I can make peace with them? Some people will say on their deathbed, get me a priest, right? Get me a priest. Why? Because before I die... I want to make peace 
with God, right? Nobody on their deathbed is looking to make peace with the stuffed animal they lost when they were seven. It doesn't matter. It's always with who's, not with what's. Happiness is always connected to a who, not a what. And so that brings you to church, right? And you stroll into church, and the preacher then tells you all that. And then he says, brothers and sisters, because I guess that's what preachers say. I don't know. He's like, brothers and sisters, that's right, testify in the back. Testify. We're going to get the spirits going to be moving in here today. That's what they'll say, right? And he'll be like, brothers and sisters, I just want you to know that money won't make you happy, right? Money won't make you happy because it's a what. It's not a who. So money won't make you happy. And you sit there in your seat because you're all religious. And you put on like your religious game face before you came through the door. Like you were cussing your spouse out in the car. But then when you walk through the door, you like put on your religious game face. And so you sit down and the preacher says, money won't make you happy. And you go, amen, brother. Amen. So you see what I'm saying? Some of you are doing that now involuntarily. You're head nodding, right? Some of you right now are like this. And the preacher says, money won't make you happy. And you're like, that's right. But deep down inside, you're thinking, that's, that's garbage. Money will make me happy. I'd like to give that a try. Where do I sign up for that test to see if money makes me happy or not? And all of us, no matter how many times you hear it, secretively think deep down that money is going to make me happy. And I want you to know that the big takeaway today is not going to be that money won't make you happy. Because I'm just like you. I don't believe that. I actually think deep down that money will make me happy. And so do you, if we're being honest, right? And so I want you to know that the big takeaway today is not going to be money doesn't make you happy. I think it does. In fact, I think there is a connection between your money and your happiness. But the mistake we make, the mistake we make, is that we make the assumption that what connects our money to our happiness is this word, more. More. If I had more money, then I'd be more happy, right? That's the mistake we make. We believe that our money and our happiness are connected and that the thing that connects them is more. More of it. So let me ask you this question today. How much more money would it take for you to be happy? Or how much more money would it take for you to be more happy? Right? Or since happy, happy people all have peace, right? Let me ask it this way. How much more money would it take for you to feel peace? How much more? And I got the answer for you. This is where you want to take notes. Ready? This is where you want to take notes. Because this is deep right here. You ready? I got the answer for you. Here's the answer to those questions. More than you currently have. Is that, is that, the, right, is that the right answer? That's what all of us are thinking, right? I'm not exactly sure how much more, but I know for sure it's more than I have right now. This is not true. This is the money lie that we all buy into. And you actually already know it's not true. I'm going to prove it to you right now. You ready? Here's how you know it's not true. Because everybody in the room 
knows somebody or has heard a story about somebody who has way more money than they do but is miserable, right? And every single person in the room knows somebody or has heard a story about somebody who has less money than they do but is still happy. And yet somehow we've convinced ourselves that more money is going to make me more happy. There is a connection between your money and your happiness. But it's not the word more. It's the word managed. It's not how much you have. It's how you manage how much you have that determines whether or not you'll be happy with your money, that determines whether or not you'll be financially at peace and thus happy. It isn't the amount of, it's the management of that makes the decision. Money does contribute to your happiness if you manage it well. But anything that undercuts your peace steals your happiness. And so if you mismanage your money, you're actually undercutting your own happiness. So Jesus says this amazing thing about money that I'm going to share with you today. It, it kind of shatters everybody's thinking in that day of what money was supposed to be used for and how money was supposed to be handled or managed. And it's still true today. And, and all of us deep down know it to be true. We're all going to agree on it even if we don't want to admit it out loud, we're all going to agree on about 90% of what Jesus says today. But he shares this idea that's so staggering it should make all of us stop and consider how we handle our money. And here's what he says. He says, if you don't manage your money well, if you don't manage your money well, then your money will manage you. And if your money is managing you, if your money is managing you, then you do not have peace because you do not have control. And if you do not have peace, then you begin to feel anxiety. Now, how many people have ever felt anxiety about money, right? And the reason that you don't feel peace financially is because when you're out of control of your money and it's controlling you, you start to feel anxious. And I want you to know today, it is virtually impossible to feel anxiety and happiness at the same time as a human. And so Jesus shares this verse I want to share with you today. If you want to follow along in a Bible, it's in Luke chapter 16. It'll be on the screen. But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking to this large crowd of people. And he says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. And you think, that's good. I don't even have a master. They don't even have masters today. So I don't even live like that. So this doesn't apply to me, right? Just, just hang with me for a second, all right? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one. And despise the other. And then he ends it with this line. Now this is how Jesus talked a lot. 
He often talked in like great extremes. There was rarely middle ground with Jesus. It was kind of like you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to despise one and be devoted to the other. It's like one end to the other. There's no middle ground, right? He's going to do the same thing in the last line of the verse. Listen to how he ends it. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now that doesn't make sense, Jesus. Like the last word of that sentence shouldn't be money. I mean, I'm not too bright, but I know enough to know that love is the opposite of hate and devoted is the opposite of despised. But the opposite of God is not money, right? I mean, that ought to say you cannot serve God and evil, right? Or you cannot serve God and Satan. That would be like opposites, right? Some translations say you cannot serve God and money. Or some older translations say you cannot serve God and mammon. You're all kind of like, what's mammon? Is it some kind of like dinosaur or prehistoric animal? Mammon is actually a better word to describe what's being said here in Greek because it includes money and all your stuff. So what he's saying is you cannot at the same time have two different masters. You'll either love one and hate one, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and all your stuff at the same time. What was Jesus saying? He was saying that the chief competitor for your devotion is not Satan, and it is not sin in general. It's not even yourself. Your greatest enemy that threatens your devotion to God is your money. Uh Uh-oh. But that's okay. You're still sitting there and you're thinking, that's okay because I don't serve my stuff and I don't love my money. But let's look back at the verse. Because Jesus defines what love is. You see it? He gives the opposites. And so he says, love is the opposite of hate. Devoted to is the opposite of despise. He's saying, loving your money means you are devoted to it. Hating your money would mean you despise it. You see how he did that? Loving your money means you're devoted to it. And you say, well, I don't love my money, but are you devoted to it? Here's what devoted means. In pursuit of. Anybody waking up to go to work tomorrow? In pursuit of. God? What are you pursuing tomorrow when you go to work? Okay. Not enough. Devoted to also means passionate about. Can I have some of your money? How passionate are you about hanging on to it? Not handing it out? No? Okay. Still not sure? It also means committed to or ardent affection for. Uh-oh, now it's like hitting closed. See, now a couple seats, people are leaving now. Chelsea's leaving. She's had enough. She said, I don't love my money, but think about it. Are you devoted to it? Because Jesus is saying devoted to money is the same thing as loving it. Let me ask it to you this way, okay? Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something? Now, of course, the answer to that's yes, right? Has your desire for something 
ever caused you to do something? How about this? Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? Now notice there's no comma there. I'm not calling you stupid. Or I'm just saying you could have done something stupid, right? Or maybe your desire for something has caused you to do something that you later regret. Anybody relate to that? You find yourself thinking, I thought I knew what was going to make me happy, but it turns out it didn't. Wanting something so bad that you'll do something else to get it, even if it makes you unhappy or you regret it, is actually being devoted to it. Sometimes, as hard as this is to believe, my wife makes me unhappy. <laughs> she's here. She's not, it's like she's never even in here. Not today. She's got to be in here, you know. But in those moments, I decide that I am devoted to her. And so even though it doesn't make me happy, I still press in. That's devoted. So before you say you're not devoted to your money, ask yourself, how many times have your, has your desire for something caused you to do something to get it, even though it turned out to make you unhappy or regretful? That's devotion. And what Jesus is saying is that devotion for something is equal to devotion to something. And so listen, this is kind of what Jesus' big point is. That's your primary competitor between him and you that's going to battle for your heart is your desire to acquire. And Jesus knew that this desire has the power to enslave you. And when you're enslaved, you are not happy no matter how much money you make. So why does this happen to us? If we all know that deep down, if we've all seen people with more money who are miserable, and we've all known people with less money who are happy, if we all know that Jesus is speaking pretty plainly when he says you can't serve God and money at the same time, if we all agree on those things and know those things, then why does it happen? This is really where you want to write down some notes. Okay? I'm going to give you three words. This is why it happens. You ready? This is why any of us who get into trouble financially, whose money doesn't make us happy, who are financially miserable, these are the three words why that happens. Ready? Here's the first one. Discontentment. Discontentment is like, I can't ever be satisfied because I know everything there is out there to have, and I know how much of it you have. So I need some of it, right? Discontentment. And what drives discontentment is awareness. That may not make sense to you, but just write that down for now. Put it in your phone. Awareness drives discontentment. Here's what I mean by that. For Christmas, I talked Stephanie into, because Stephanie's not, Stephanie's not a video game. She's not waiting for Black Ops in the video game store in Oneida with her sucker friend, all right? She's not doing that. That was me with Sam. Because she's not waiting for the newest game to come out. But I talked her into getting our daughter 
a little video game that I found, okay? So I found this video game. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, but it's like, it's about the size of an iPhone, which I don't have up here, but it's about the size of this little, like, microphone thing, right? And I, and on it, it's got like 160 old Nintendo games, right, from like when I was a kid. And I was like, she will love that. Let's get it for her. And it was like 20 bucks. It wasn't even like that much money, right? And sure enough, she loves it, okay? She loves it. I got pictures of her eyes like bugging out. Tears were streaming down. She can't even blink. But it shows up, and I didn't even know it existed, okay? But it shows up in the house, and I have found myself over the last two weeks wanting to play it myself, right? And so I'm coming into the room, and I'm like, oh, Sid, you need a little help from Daddy on that board? You know, it's a little, a little too tough. I can get you through that phase. You know, let me, let me see it for a second, you know? I have honestly spent hours in the last two weeks, right? Like tangible hours playing that dumb little game. But I didn't even know it existed three weeks ago. And I never played it. Somehow awareness drove my discontent. Every one of you can relate to that. You're walking through the mall. You're walking through Walmart. You're at Lowe's. If you're like me, like you go to Lowe's, you're like, I didn't even know there were that many tools, right? And it only takes you about 30 seconds to go from, I didn't even know that existed, to I need that, right? Because awareness drives discontentment. Here's the second word, or happy words here, that, that kind of, make us fall into this money trap. Greed. Greed. Now, we don't have time to look at the passage. I could show you sometime if you want. But Jesus talked about greed, too, quite a bit. This is Jesus' definition of greed. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. You look around at everybody else, and you believe in your heart that everything should be yours. And the problem with these appetites, discontentment, and greed is that you cannot satisfy them. There's always a new toy. There's always somebody that has more. There's always more to hoard. There's always more to buy. There's always more expensive toys to have, right? And so you can't ever satisfy them. And so then it drives us to our third happy word. And the third word is debt. Because if you're discontent enough, or if you're greedy enough, then you got to do whatever it takes to have what you need and to have it right now, which was cute when you were five, but it's not cute anymore. And so debt is like self-imposed slavery to stuff. And some of us are buried in it. And I want to teach you this principle today. You ready? This is rocket science. Ready? This is rocket science principle. I want is better then I owe. You got that? That's to be like, somebody should put that on your mirror at home when you wake up in the morning. I want is better than I owe. Stephanie and I have kind of this thing where like, I'm the dreamer. You know what I mean? Like I'm the one, like we go to Walmart, I want to go back to like the TV row and just look at the bigger TVs than we have. You know what I'm talking about? And so I just stare at I'm like, look, that one's curved. I've got to have the curved one. Am I like running in circles while I'm watching TV? Why do I need it to be curved, right? Oh, that one's high def. Oh, that one's 4K. That one's 4K ultra. 
You don't even know what that stuff means. But you've got to have it, right? I'm kind of the dreamer when it comes to stuff. And Stephanie always like shoots that down, crushes my hopes. But if she wouldn't, if she wouldn't do that, I would eventually talk myself out of almost all of that, right? Because I hate debt. And so uh, a good principle is that one for you guys, for all of us, that I want is better than I owe. See, I want is between you and God, but I owe is between you and a creditor. And if you're a Christian, turns out God sides with the creditor. He expects you to pay him back. So learn to want things instead of owe things. Don't trade your peace for something that can't bring you peace. Let me put those three words on the screen and ask you to tell me which one of those three words makes you happy. So let me give you the application for today, right? I know this is like a deep day. You've got to come back for the whole series because sometimes we start off a little slow. Maybe I'm a little slow. I don't know. But let me give you the takeaway for today. You ready? Here's the application for today. You ready? Stop! That's it. That's it. It's easier. You got any proof text for that? No, just, just stop doing it. Right? Those don't make you happy. Stop going into debt. Stop hoarding everything. Stop making yourself aware of everything that's available. Get off of Pinterest. You won't even know it's available anymore. Stop walking through the mall and looking at all the windows. You don't need to see what's on the mannequin. It won't look as good on me anyhow, right? That's a mistake I made once. Anytime you're a guy and you're in the store, you're like, that Under Armour shirt, that looks good on that mannequin. It won't look the same on you. Don't get it, right? doesn't look the same in my mirror at home. Stop making yourself aware of everything that's available, and you'll be less, you'll be less discontent. Stop going into debt. Cut up your credit cards. Just stop it. Why? Because more won't help. But management will help. And you can start a brand new pattern in your life today. You can have a brand new master, and his name doesn't have to be card. Two people got that. Like, nobody got that, right? I hope I'm just saying. All right. You're going to find me a new church where they laugh at my jokes, all right, Sam? <laughs> Listen, everything the Bible has to say about money, Old Testament and New Testament can be summed up in two words. Everything. You ready? Here it is. Everything the Bible teaches about money can be summed up in these two words, generosity and wisdom. And if you'll be generous and wise with your money, you'll be happy. You will feel happier financially. Your money will work for you instead of you working for it. You will start to have happy money. Here's how we teach it at our church. And I've heard Kenny teach this. I've taught it over the years. We teach this all the time. Here's how we teach those two principles. You ready? Give, save, live. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Give to God first. But I don't know if I'll have enough. Don't worry about that. 
You're still focused on more. You got to get focused on managing. Give to God first, save second, and only live on what's left. We teach it at this church over and over again. We hammer it into our kids. Both of our kids have little piggy banks, and they each have three compartments, and they each say, give, save, live. One says spend. So every time our kids earn money, we take them to their little piggy bank, and we say, what do you do first? And they say, we give some to Jesus. So we drop some in the Jesus jar, the give jar. And then we say, then what? We put some in the bank. They drop some in the save slot. What do you do with the rest? I buy toys at the store. And they put the rest in the live spot. And in our culture, I found that most people have that opposite. They get their paycheck and they live like there's no tomorrow. If there's anything left, they'll save it. And then if they feel guilty enough, they'll throw something in an offering plate. Somebody tells them there's a hurricane and they need help. They'll go into debt to help somebody in Puerto Rico, right? It ought to be opposite of the way we do it. Give to God first, then save some money, and then only live on the rest. And learn how to say to yourself, I want is better than I owe. If you will do that, your money will start to make you happy. Look, if you give to God first, it will give you joy. I promise. I promise. I, I know what that's looked like in my life. It will bring you joy. If you save second, if you save second, it will bring you peace. People who have stuff happen to their life but have 40 grand in the bank waiting, they don't stress, right? They don't feel anxious. And if you live only on what's left, you will feel freedom. People with no debt, they don't feel like a slave. They don't feel like money's burying them. Listen, not only does this get taught wrong in the world, this is getting taught wrong in churches all over the world. All over the place. Because they don't want to confront money in people's lives. I don't want them to think they're all about my money. I'm not all about your money. Jesus wasn't all about your money. He's all about your heart. And he knows that nothing will compete for your heart's attention more than money. He's not asking you to give him your money first so he'll be loaded. He's already loaded. He's asking you to give him your money first so that you will submit to him and not let your sin grow up to breed death in your life. If you'll do this, if you'll give first, if you'll save second, if you'll live on what's left, your money will make you happy. See, money does contribute to your happiness if you manage it well. Your best option is to invite your heavenly father to manage you while you learn to manage your money. Don't believe the lie that it's cute or it's innocent. I've always wanted it. Look how cute it is that I finally got what I wanted, but I had to use a credit card to get it. Look how cute it is what they have that I should have. 
Don't, don't believe the lie that those desires are just cute little babies. Don't give them space to grow because when they grow up, they will b- give birth to death in your life. Instead, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And see if your money doesn't start to make you happy. And Jesus is saying to you today, nothing will compete more for your attention. Nothing will try to rob your heart away from me more than your money. But if you will just live with wisdom and generosity, you'll be happy. The way we say it here is give, save, live.